Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. City. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you all for coming in on such a beautiful day. Come hanging out with us uh, at church here. Um, we've been going through a series called Wide Awake. Uh, and in this series, we've been wrestling. I think we positioned it as that we're, we're kind of encountering and, 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 and engaging truth and lies. And the truth being that um, the doctrine of the Imago Dei. The truth being that we were created in God's image and that in being created in God's image, there is this, this right, this inherent right that comes with us, a value, this indelible value that, that can't be erased or delineated in any way. And that there's something to be celebrated about that. There's something to be cherished, something that, 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 that should draw worship in us when we hear the idea that we are made in God's image. That there is no exchanging, no transferring of that, that that, that reality is what makes us who we are and what connects us to him. And the lie we've been communicating is the narrative of racial difference. And in this narrative, it's as old as our country. It's a story that tells us that, that based upon your race or culture, there's, a, there's a, a certain amount of value that you may hold. This narrative allowed us to nearly eradicate the Native folks in our, in our communities, in our country. This narrative allowed my ancestors to be shipped over like cargo from Africa. This narrative has disenfranchised people of color for centuries. And it's a narrative that says that you have value and you're significant if you're white. And your value incrementally decreases in your proximity to whiteness all the way down to black. We've been having this conversation in the church and for the most part I would say this this conversation has been it's been happening all over the nation. It feels pretty common, and it's a big part of our nomenclature here at River City. In fact, I would say that we talk about this quite a bit, and some of you always say we talk about it too much, right? <laughs> that we all, we're talking about race so much, so much, so much. And the surprising thing is that there's this level of pain that has come out of our body. And I'm not surprised because I, like, I imagine that we should be triggered when we engage subject matters like this. When we engage subject matters that call into question our identity, things that are rooted in things as old as God himself, that, that our image is started to be called into question, that the Imago Dei is under attack. When we engage in that, of course, people should be stirred in some way, right? Right? But it's amazing how comprehensive it's been in this body. What's amazing is that usually you have these conversations, there's a people group that walks out feeling hurt, one people group, you know? But it's been across the board. People in our body are hurting and are in pain because of this conversation and, and the fights that we're kind of having with engaging truth and lies. Our mixed brothers and sisters are wondering where they even lie in this conversation. We have our Latino, uh, Latino brothers and sisters and our Asian American brothers and sisters wrestling with where do we fit on this paradigm where it seems like a solely a black and white conversation. 
It feels like their stories and their pain has been marginalized, pushed to the side. We got our white brothers and sisters struggling with, what do I do with this stuff? What do I do with this stuff, with this information that you're giving me? Many of us sit in the the pews and hear the stories and think of our family members. And like, they couldn't sit through this. Some of us wonder, like, can I even be emotional about it? Can I even feel anything about it? Because if, if I do, will I be labeled as fragile or broken or weak? Is this a space where I can't fully be myself? Can I even have pain here? And that's a pain by itself. And then for us, for my people, the black folks in the community, the struggle is that we've been having this conversation for a very long time. And constantly the legacy of of the brutality and the atrocities levied against us are, are brought out, put on stage, and on display for others to learn how to feel about it. I liken it to a public lynching of our emotions, of our past, of our, of our trauma, that we get to once again hang the black narrative up by a tree. And we are to sit and listen and hear this. There is pain in our body. I see it. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I see it. There is pain in our body. And for the most part, it it should be expected, but at this comprehensive level, the fact that everyone is hurting, everyone is hurting, that is something significant to me. That's a moment we should take notice of. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read the word. We're going to be reading from Ephesians 5, um, verses 8 through 17. And... As we begin to read, like we begin the series with this text, and we're going to end it with this text. Um, there's some pretty good things in here, so here we go. All right, here it goes. It says, "For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth." And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. If it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Not just visible, y'all, but everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the day, the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. As I stated earlier, we begin, we began the series with this text and we're going to end it with this text. And one of the things that we did was we compare truth to truth, um, light to truth and darkness to lies. So when I look at this text, there's something very unique that comes out on it. And it says that if you look at your text, we can even bring it back up if, if you don't mind. It says, for you were, you were once darkness. You were once darkness. Not that you were in darkness. Not that darkness surrounded you. Not that you did dark things. Not that dark things were done to you. 
but that you were once darkness. He's referring to a state of being. Something we are. And so I wonder, like, what is it that draws out this comprehensive pain in us when we talk about the truth? Because at the end of the day, no one's really arguing whether or not anything that's been said this week, whether or not it's wrong or not. No one's questioning whether or not the doctrine of discovery was a, was a, a document that, that, that licensed um, the, 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 the extinction and, and, and the murder and the brutalization of Native folks on this land and also further license the purchasing and the selling of human beings as, as property. No one's arguing whether or not that actually happened. That's history. No one's actually arguing whether or not they think it's wrong or right. All of us would agree that that's wrong. That's not the argument. That's not what's bringing us pain is that there's a disagreement with whether or not these facts are true or not. So when truth brings us pain, I wonder why that is. Why does truth bring us pain? You ever hear this statement that light pierces through the darkness? See, lightness, light and darkness cannot coexist, right? They cannot coexist. When, when lights are turned on, darkness dies. That's what happens. I think the pain is caused because it's not that, it's not that, 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 that we disagree with the light or the truth. It's that we are the lie. We are the lie. You see, we've internalized this narrative of racial difference, every one of us. And the truth that God has called us to, to extinguish it, to kill it, is a threat to our very being. It's a threat to who we are. Because we were once darkness. When we call out these narratives and these stories, and we call it and put it, put it in contrast with the truth of the gospel, it is a threat to our very being. And the reason for that is that all the things that have formed us, our, our education, our theology, our upbringing, our nomenclature, all those things have been infected with this narrative of racial difference. So when we see a video of a young lady, a little girl, little black girl, Sit, on the, like, sit at a table and be asked what is beautiful and she makes a choice that, that quantifies and solidifies self-hate. We are disturbed and bothered by that because we are, we've, we've, we've become the lie. We've become the lie. And the light pierces through the darkness. The truth pierces through the lie. It hurts. It's painful. And so the guilt and the shame that our white brothers and sisters feel in this space is because we've internalized there's so much of the story that we have to undo. So much of ourselves have to become undone. So much of we we've 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 we valued and gave valor to and, and even even esteemed has to be called into question. Even our theology and the way that we understand who God is, is all under, under question now. Because the light pierces through the darkness. And I think the beautiful part about this text is that it says anything that has been illuminated by the light becomes light. So darkness isn't our end point. 
darkness isn't our destination, but that anything that is illumined by the, illuminated by the light becomes light. It becomes light. So, so, so you're telling me, Brandon, there's pain in our body. You tell me the pain in our body is because now we have to confront truth. Then what do we do with it? So pain does one of two things, right? Either can join you together, it can unite you, or it can divide you. I would submit to you that I believe River City is in our corporate Gethsemane moment right now. That in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sat there knowing what stood before him. That this cup, this death that was before him, that, that, that there, was a, there was an expectation of this turmoil and this pain and this suffering that was to come. And Jesus stood there in the garden and prayed to God to the point where he was bleeding from his pores. He was in such agony, just the thought of it, that, Lord, if you could take this cup away from me, if you can, if you can ask this cup to be removed from me, please do. If there is a way for me not to have to endure this pain, I, look, look, I get it. It's, the world needs saving. Somebody should do it. Maybe it shouldn't be me. And that, that's where I believe Jesus was at. And I think a lot of us in this church right now, in this space right now, are wrestling with this. I have Gethsemane moments all the time at River City. All the time. Lord, if this could not be my cup, please take it away from me. I can't take another black and white video of seeing black folks getting sprayed by hoses. I can't do it. I've had conversations where individuals are saying, like, Brandon, I don't know if I can do one anymore. These are our Gethsemane moments. But my prayer is that corporately we respond the same way that Jesus did. My prayer is that we move in the same place that Jesus did. We go into a space and we say, Lord, but not my will, but yours. But yours. And if God does push us to that space of saying, like, look, this cup, I'm not moving from you. And this is your destiny. This is your destination. This is where you're going. I believe God has done that to Daniel. I believe God has done that to me. I believe God has done that to River City as the body. And if this is where we're going, how do we manage it? How do we go knowing that there's going to be pain, going to be, be suffering, and that there's going to be hard times and hard conversations and spaces where you just want to go, you just want to leave? How do we continue to stay in the fight? How do we keep pushing when you know that this is going to be hard, this is going to be arduous, it's going to take life from you? Where, how do we do this? And for that, I, I say we lean on, on folks that have history of navigating this pain. That we, we lean on folks who, who understand what it's like to carry a burden for hundreds and hundreds of years. To be second-class citizens, to be marginalized, to be property at some point. That we lean, we lean on, on my tradition, my history of the black church. So when I was growing up, the church represented an oasis. It was a space where you can go and, 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 and you can be and be sanctuary and have sanctuary. And, and all the rules of the world did not apply in this space. It was a surrogate world. It was a different space, an alternate universe. 
that I could go and be at church and the rules of the world did not apply. And I could come and be filled up with the truth of the Imago Dei, that I am God's beloved, that I matter, that I am valuable, and that all the pain and all my suffering, I can lay it upon him and exchange burdens with my Savior. And there was a way that I could do that through worship and prayer and song and common pain. And I would, I would, I would give it to God in those spaces. And it wouldn't be turning a blind eye to the truth of this world. But the world had no effect on me in this space. That I truly had sanctuary here. But there's also a reality of my church growing up. Or the black church in general. Which is that that Imago day wouldn't just sit in you. Because it doesn't rest. Because it moves and it stirs and it causes commotion and it causes a lot of drama, actually. When you find out you're God's child, you start getting some audacity. And we should be audacious. When you realize you're God's child, you do some crazy stuff. You start talking to systems and spaces that tell you that you, are, you don't matter and historically you haven't mattered. And you remind them, yes, I do. Yes, I do. What has been usually received and, and with, with, with docile kind of like acceptance turns into a fight. Because the spirit of God won't let you rest. Luther Vandross had a song like, love won't let me wait. Like the spirit of God won't let you rest. It won't let you stop. You cannot leave the space filled with the Imago Dei and step into a space that would diminish it. You can't. The natural outworkings of being filled with God's spirits, filled with God's Imago Dei is advocacy. Because you can't sit still when someone tries to silence the God in you. You cannot be quiet. When you want to dull the reflection of the image of God, you cannot let it happen. It just doesn't happen. And I would say a healthy church, a healthy church does both. That it fills you with the Imago Dei, reminding you are God's child and that is never in doubt. It's unconditional, non-negotiable. No circumstance, no event, no surroundings, no environment can ever compromise that truth and reality. And because of that, you fight. And in River City, we get in balance sometimes. Sometimes we all on the fight side. Because <laughs> fighting is fun. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the spaces where we become whole is a space when God, we sit before him and we lay the troubles and the burdens of this world before him. And he fills us with the promise that he reminds us that he is able, that the stories that you have been told that have been deeply rooted in you, that you don't ever know or ever think you can be excavated. He says, I can get it out of you. He says, I can get it out of you. He promises you he can take it out. And that's the thing, that's the promise for all of us is that those stories, those lies, those things that are deeply embedded in us are not permanent. They are not permanent. And there's a story God is writing for River City, for every individual in here, for every individual in this world. And he will replace the stories that we hold and that we protect. The stories that draw out fear in us. Because when light touches darkness, it becomes light. It becomes light. Darkness never wins.
Darkness never wins. So church, we say, man, so we take the black tradition and maybe in some way I feel better about myself, right? It's more than a state of thinking and a philosophical disposition. It's more than that, right? Because it has to be more than just, man, I just hold this kind of theological tenet, and then maybe someday I'll feel better about this reality, this world that we live in. And then I can go out and be energized in the world, engage the world in its, in its brokenness, and be rejected by the world, because you will, in its brokenness. And then maybe I'll come back feeling better. I, I don't think it happens that way either. I think the most important thing that we engage in, and, and this is just sidebar for me, it's, just, it's ironic that the, the, the God that we follow keeps asking us to die, right? It's like it's just a really weird thing. Like, I want life. I want life. Well, you got to die. It's like a, it's, like a, it's just a, like an oxymoron. Like, like the, the whole pursuit of life is to try to sustain it and keep it and, and keep going and, 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 and want, to, want longevity. That's always our dream. And every time we encounter Jesus, he always points to another way we got to die. So in the scriptures, it talks about discipleship is us picking up our cross and carrying it to follow him. And it would sound cool and stuff like that, but it was just a piece of wood you walk around with and just like, I'm carrying my cross. And then everybody could say, look at him carrying his burdens for God. It's great. But at the end of the day, a cross is only used for one thing. It's to kill you. It's to die. The cross is only used for one thing, and it's to die. And as perverse and crazy as it sounds, it makes the most sense. When you say we were once darkness, and isn't it funny how we're easily, we, all of us will raise our hand and say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, right? Most of us would. I'm a sinner, I need, I need a Savior, I need someone to, on my behalf to carry the burdens of my sin. Now, most of us will say that. But when I raise the sin of the narrative of racial difference, it's so hard to confess that we, 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 are, we, are, we are complicit or that we hold this. When I'm asking for the same thing, confess it, staple it to that cross, and know that on the other side of it is resurrection. That on the other side of the cross, it's always resurrection. Yes, he calls us to death, but death unto life and life to the full. This battle, this fight, this call that we're calling us to, that this, this, this thing we're engaging in is nothing more than discipleship. It's nothing more than picking up our cross, carrying that pain and the suffering. But believe me, folks, on the other side is resurrection. That is the promise. On the other side is resurrection. There is light and life, and it's going to be to the full. That you have not yet met your full self. Imagine what he, he or she could be. You have not met the divine you. The one who has fully internalized being a child of God, a child of light. Do you know the power that is in that when we can fully engage in that? But scriptures have completely said over and over and over and over again that you cannot engage in that. You cannot participate in that until you confess, until you lay it down, until you say, yes, I am once. I was once darkness. I, I yearn to be light. This is the call that we believe we're called to as a church. No pain can either divide us 
or bring us together. I think there's a place we can meet. There's a place that we, we can meet. That we join in Christ in his sufferings, in his death, and in his resurrection. That we can meet at the cross. That we can bring our burdens and our pain there. That we can lay that there. And we can lay the truth of this narrative. We can lay that at the cross as well. And there's liberation for us there. Liberation from this collective captivity. So we're going to just remember what Christ has done today. And this is what we do with communion. We remind ourselves that we have been brought and transformed from darkness to light. That the pain you hold is valid. That the pain you hold is valid. That God sees it. We see it. It's valid. But that's not your destination. That's not your end point. There is a cross and there is resurrection. There is a cross and there is resurrection. So as we take communion today, I want you to remember we're moving from darkness to light. We're moving from darkness to light. From truth, the truth will annihilate the lie. From darkness to light. And as we bring things to the light, let us celebrate as we take of the body and drink of the blood that frees us and liberates us. There will be people at the stations over here in either corner of the sanctuary. And there will be individuals handing out the bread and the juice. And the body will be breaking, broken for you and handed to you. We do not take communion here. Communion is given. And as we do, let us remember how we are, are changed from darkness to light by his love, by his death, by his resurrection. Let's pray. Blessed and holy Father, holy one, there is none like you. That, that image of light piercing through darkness. Like when you turn a light on in a room and darkness just disappears. That the work that you've done on the cross has offered us an opportunity to once again see ourselves as children of light. Dear God, restoring us the truth of the Imago Day. Push it deep down in our being. Let it change us. Let the truth of your word make us new. Let us be invigorated, empowered by it. So much so, Lord, that we are stirred to the point of, of agitation, that we just can't sit still. Not while your Imago Day goes blemished. We can't sit still while there's pain in our, in our city, in our streets, Lord. We can't sit still when there's pain in our families, pain in our congregation, Lord. Remind us that your image is non-negotiable. There's no exchange, no losing it, no breaking it, no distilling it. That is either all of it or nothing, Lord. And we desire all of it. Restoring us your image. Allow us to be courageous image bearers, Lord. 
to move into spaces of pain, not to, dis- to, to, to disunite, but to bring us together, Lord. Free us from this collective captivity. And once free, Lord, may we never visit those chains again. May we never look upon them with comfort again. May we never long for them ever again, Lord. May by being free, we are made free, free others, Lord. And may that freedom be so pervasive, so immense, Lord, till all every, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord, the God of our liberation, the God of our freedom. We long for your presence. We long for you to set us free. In your holy and matchless name we pray, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. How many believe it tonight? Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, he's able. Tell somebody else, he's able. Y'all ready? Exceedingly. Abundantly. All you could ask for pain According to The power That worketh in upon God cause he won't give up on you he's able how many believe it tonight yeah yeah he's able thank you Jesus come on y'all I need y'all to help me sing God God is able to do just what he said